Hello, everybody. Thank you so much for joining me here at This Is Good For You, a podcast that's about all the ways that we find pleasure in life. I know some of you are our OGs out there. Y'all have been here from day one. Thank you so much. And we've got some newbies in the house. Yay. <laughs> but I want to welcome everybody here. Thank you so much. I definitely want to show some love to the members of the show Patreon. You're incredible. You know, we've started sending out some perks. I hope everybody's getting theirs with no issues, no problems. And also thank you to everyone who has ordered merch. I appreciate you. I would hug you all if I weren't so weird about hugging. But you know what? You still make me feel warm and fuzzy inside. So thank you for being here. You keep the heart of this place racing. And speaking of hearts racing, I do not do sports. That segue was all right. We're going to keep it, though. I'm leaving my early 40s. And, you know, I kind of regret that I was not more physically active as a kid. When I was a teenager, I ran track for like three weeks. I quit because I would rather be reading. I wouldn't call myself a nerd, but... Maybe I was. I don't know. <laughs> um, <laughs> now, my mom played basketball in high school and my father played baseball like his entire youth until he got married. Here's a little fun fact. My father and my uncle, his brother, played on the same neighborhood baseball team as Russell Wilson's father, Russell Wilson as in the football player, which was also coached by Russell Wilson's grandfather. I have a picture on my Instagram and I'll show y'all one day. So my father tried to teach me how to play baseball when I was younger, but it did not last very long at all. I just looked like a cartoon character when I tried to hit the ball, just spinning around until I like dug a hole into the earth or something. Um, so I was like, this is not for me. And I also realized that I do not like team sports. I do not like my win being contingent on other people. I don't know what that says about myself. I'm going to think that I think it means something good. Don't tell me if it means something else. And when I got to college for one of my PE credits, I played volleyball, but I hated when my teammates fucked up. I hated it when they were just like, they didn't want to hit the ball because they didn't want to mess up their nails. I hated it when they just weren't paying attention. So I was like, I could have hit that. Why didn't you tell me to get it? Obviously, you can't play volleyball by yourself, but that's what I wanted to do. <laughs> now, the second PE credit that I needed, I took a swim class. I was supposed to be learning how to swim. And I did, but very poorly. The class was really crowded the coach really didn't want to be there. Like he was an older gentleman who I think was honestly just waiting until he retired. <laughs> and everybody would come to the pool to watch the girls in their swimsuits, right? Like it was a fucking party. <laughs> um, I would look up and there would just be a crowd of people with their fruit punches and whatever else they were drinking, just chilling, watching everybody in the water. And I just felt very uncomfortable. I did not enjoy the experience. I was very self-conscious. But when I got to my mid-30s, I was working at a university, which had, of course, an incredible sports athletic center. And I decided that I wanted to take a beginning course in swimming again. I was in this class with children and teenagers. My instructor was a college student herself, but she was very patient, very understanding. And I learned how to swim, I would say, well enough to save my own life 
But after the class was over and I learned what I needed to learn, I would come back to the gym. I would come back to that pool and it became my stress relief. When I was in the water, it just, I don't know, I felt clear. Like all the little smudges of stress that life had thrown at me just wiped away in the water. I just felt shiny all over again when I stepped out of the pool. And it was a solitary experience, right? I did not have to rely on anyone else to make me feel this way. It was all me. I quit that job and I started freelancing full time and I lost access to the pool. And, you know, I've told you before, I'm from Nashville. And like many places, unfortunately, in America, the city has a really difficult history of segregated pools. In 1961, two Black men went swimming at a community pool at Centennial Park, and it was a whites-only pool. About three days later, the city shut down all the public swimming pools. They were just like, fuck it, nobody can swim. If you coloreds want to swim, nobody else can swim. So they shut down all the public pools in the city for three years. Three years, just because some Black kids wanted to swim. Centennial Park still does not have a public swimming pool. You have to be a member in order to get access to the pool. It's really unfortunate. I do have a really insightful article from Bitter Southerner about that history that I will put in the description box for you to read. But, you know, a lot of people think that Black people don't know how to swim. You know, we make it into a joke, right? Oh, we don't want to get our hair messed up or, you know, there's all this disgusting stuff about how we're physically unable to swim, whatever. It's just a matter of history and systematic racism that can affect generations of people. Now, I do regret not being more athletic as a kid because every time that I was kind of active, it felt good. And I think it would have helped me love my body a little bit better or at least love it more than I do now. I had to wait until I was in my 30s with a very specific kind of access to learn how to become a stronger swimmer and how good it felt to move through the water, which brings me to the conversations that I have had today. I talked to two women who decided to take a very different sports a little past the expected age that people tell us that we should be athletic. Alicia Mitchell recently started skateboarding and Miss Rita, mom of one of my producers here, she took up speed skating a little late in life. I think that is so cool. First up, we have Alicia telling us about her skateboarding adventures. Hello, my name is Alicia Lish Mitchell. I commonly go by Lish. I currently live in Brooklyn, New York. I'm originally from Florida. Professionally, I work full-time as a senior marketing account manager. Personally, I do have my own blog, mylishcometrue.com, uh, where I really like to write and tell stories about myself. And I also like getting into various activities that really uh, kind of trigger the childlike excitement about life in me. So that includes traveling, uh, reading, skateboarding, and lots of other things. So that's me in a nutshell. That's awesome. We're going to get to those inner child, childlike adventures in a little bit. But, you know, we follow each other on Instagram because we know each other through our friend Drea. And I saw that even before the pandemic had started, you had made a decision to 
leave the country because I understand that your job is already remote or you were able to do remote work and you left the country and you were just like, peace out. (laughs) Let me take this time. (laughs) Can you tell me like what sparked that decision for you and like how was that experience? Yes, we have been following each other. So I appreciate that you do recognize the journey that I've been on. Um, It's been a constant, um, you know, self-discovery and really just learning to listen to myself because I kind of have a tendency to compare my success to other people's progress in their lives. And I really had to learn that I had to silence myself. And I felt that the best way for me to do that is to, you know, be in search of the sun and travel to a lot of warm places and to isolate and to really just engage in my senses. Prior to the pandemic, I've just always really tried to advocate and saving money and investing that towards traveling because it's just so much growth on the other end of that. So anytime I'm going through any type of anxieties or just like overthinking a lots of situations, I'm just real quick to hit pause and just go travel somewhere. And that really just allows me to find my center. So that opened up like a whole nother level of like figuring out who I am. Yeah, that's awesome. I was like, oh, I wish I could do that because I, you know, I live a freelance life. So like my money is immediately going to bills and, you know, maybe some books for pleasure and stuff like that. But when I do travel, it really does recharge you and it really does help you kind of, like you said, center yourself and get back to who you are um, so that, you know, when you come back to your own place, you can really appreciate what you have and you don't get caught up in that cycle of, okay, well, I don't have what that person has. This is mine and it's great. (laughs) (laughs) One thing that I found that was really important in my travel is just like the whole self-love concept because again, I love traveling to warm places. So that means that you're going to be wearing less clothes. And so I wanted to get in the daily practice of seeing myself in uh, short shorts or in a bikini or whatever the case may be and to live and experience life as it being a normal thing of embracing my skin in general. So above all, aside from getting away, it's just really loving and just, yeah, enjoying every element of myself and taking that back with me every time I return from a trip. I love that because I have some body image issues that have been, I feel like, a part of my life for a very long time, since childhood. And regardless of my size, I still just felt like it wasn't the right size, you know? And so when I see you out there just loving your body, loving the environment that you're in, I'm just like, oh, even though we're talking about not envying other people, I'm just like, oh, I wish I could get to that level and maybe one day I will. So I really appreciate that. You are like you're helping yourself, but you're also helping others. So thank you. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> okay. So skateboarding. Yes. Is this something that you used to do as a child or are you just now learning and it's totally brand new to you? Yeah, I definitely never skateboarded at all. Um, you know, I did grow up listening to Avril Lavigne, you know, every now and again. <laughs> so I had like that little rocker undertone to my blackness. But I was definitely a softball, volleyball uh, type of chick growing up. Uh, but especially like growing older and even living in the city, you see all different modes of transportation. And so you see folks on skateboards. So what I started recognizing is the whole demeanor and the attitude of like a skateboarder. It's like they're independent, they're fierce, they're unafraid. Like, you know, they're just literally like mowing through life, creating your own lane. So I really attracted to just like how I felt when I saw a skateboard and then to see a black skateboard and then to see a black female skateboard. It's just like, oh my gosh, my mind just blown. Like it was a sensory overload. And then I came across 
on HBO, they have the show Betty and they also turn it into a movie. And so this just, it's about like a diverse group of like female skateboarders in the city. So then like, I'm seeing that in this show, it, it kind of just speaks to like the hipster side. You know, you're thinking Williamsburg and you know, it's all the cool, <laughs> the cool elements to it. And I wanted to acclimate myself to that community. And the first step was like learning how to skateboard. So I went on Amazon and then I ordered all the equipment and I steadily, you know, started my skateboarding journey, <laughs> which is very slow <laughs> uh, and very dangerous and very scary. But uh, it, it's been great. I started at the beginning of the pandemic. And um, once I ordered my equipment online, there's this park that actually has a skate park there. So I would just take myself there. I'd have my uh, my helmet, my wrist pads, my ankle pads, like I'm all like covered <laughs> and protected. And so I was just trying to get comfortable with the board. And literally, I have no experience at all. So I'm looking at you two and I'm just like, how do you start to even get on the skateboard? Mm -hmm. Do you use your left foot or do you use your right foot? Like just the very basics. And I'm still at level zero, but there has been some progress <laughs> in confidence building. For sure. But I also <laughs> understand that you are in a class? Are you like in a formal class with kids, <laughs> with children? <laughs> yeah. So that when I first started, when I was at my sister's, I was going at it by myself and I realized this is extremely dangerous, especially for an adult. So once I got back to New York, I did a deep dive on Instagram and I came across um, this man named Lou Harris. And he actually has a nonprofit that um, he started in the New York area, like in 2016, it's the Black Surfing Association. So they reach out and they teach a lot of kids in the area, you know, to keep themselves busy so they're not getting into trouble. So in addition to surfing, they have cooking programs in addition to teaching free skateboarding. So I, you know, did a deep dive on the page and I saw these classes and, you know, they're all really young, you know, real <laughs> legit kids. And so I reached out. I was just like, hey, I'm a full grown adult, but I'm really trying to learn how to skateboard safely. Like, is it OK if I like come out there? And so he he invited me out to the space. And the first thing he told me is that the skateboard that I bought, which I didn't know what I'm buying. It's like actually a, a trick board for the folks that do all like the crazy flipping and all that stuff. And yeah. he's like, that's not your vibe. He was like, the first thing you need to do when you get home is put the skateboard under your bed and don't use it again. And so I'm like, yo, so this is how we're really going to start. <laughs> like, all right. But do you want to get to that point where you can pull out that trick skateboard from under your bed and like... I don't know what are, what are some terms do an ollie what is I don't know <laughs> yeah like yeah that is that is a term but like can I tell you what an ollie is I would love to like listen once I get the basics because the because I was seeing the trainings of people that you know are doing the tricks and the first step is getting comfortable so you could balance your weight because it's a lot about your placement and the pressure that you put on and you you can't be wobbly you have to be confident in that decision so I'm not there yet but I do imagine myself. I don't want to do a flip or anything crazy, but I just want to at least go down <laughs> and be able to stand up. <laughs> I think it'll be cute. <laughs> but basically, I was instructed to get a longboard because that's more of like your casual on the boardwalk, long strides. You don't necessarily have anywhere to go. You're not trying to be fancy, but you're just trying to be consistent. But, you know, going to the skate park in Rockaway Beach, it's a really uh, welcoming space. You know, it's young as, you know, three and my age out there really learning the basics. And he's just really invested in the community and in the kids and engaging them in different like creative outlets and skateboarding is one. And it's really well received. <laughs> and how did the kids react seeing you, a full grown adult, <laughs> joining them? <laughs> 
Yeah, I was not the only one. Oh. And that was a beautiful thing because, like, my instructor, he was about 14. So, you know, he, like, <laughs> pulled me off to the side. And so I'm learning the terminology because initially, like, one of the first things they really want you to learn is, again, which leg do you skate? Are you left or right dominant when you're pushing off of a skateboard? That's the really the first step. And so I figured out that for me, that's my left-hand side. And so then he was like, oh, are you goofy? I was like, what do you mean my goofy? Like, I no, I'm just trying to learn how to skateboard. He was like, no, goofy is when you use your left leg to push off. I'm just like, okay, yes, I'm goofy. <laughs> if that's what you mean, then yes. So like, those are the type of learnings and experiences that I'm having is just like familiarizing myself, all things skateboard. And it's really great. And he didn't look at my age. He just saw me as another person that was interested in in a sport that he also loves. So that's mm. the commonality. And that's what you build on. Yeah. So what has this experience taught you about yourself or just about the journey to yourself? Oh, yeah. So skateboarding has taught me that you can and should do things while scared skateboarding is very scary. And, and one thing that Mr. Lou, as people affectionately call him, what he says is that as you get older, your bones don't heal quick, <laughs> you know, as quick. So I don't want to be a casualty to the streets. Like I, I'm really not trying to <laughs> injure myself, but at the same time, I'm still need to be willing to go through the process and to accept that risk. And so that just teaches me throughout life is you have to understand there's a risk with any type of choice that you make. And, and is it worth it? And to me, yes. So like in addition to me learning how to skate, I'm also training. Like I'm doing squats. I'm making my legs stronger. Like I'm being thoughtful about the process because I am a 35-year-old novice skateboarder. Like that's crazy, but that's my truth. And um, you prepare for it. Do you think once you do get to a point where you feel comfortable skateboarding throughout the city, are you going to keep doing it, though? Like, because sometimes you learn something just to get to a point of proficiency and then you abandon it. I know that that's, that's yeah. something that I've done, you know, with a lot of <laughs> hobbies or interests or whatever. But can you see yourself continuing this? I would love to. I would love to have something that like ages with me because you can always carry around a board, you know, and there's always a street. I, I would really love to because ideally the way that I see myself like on the other side of everything is, you know, I'm wearing like a spaghetti strap onesie and some like little shorts and some van sneakers just like navigating the city like as a normal thing and looking good while I'm doing it. You know, it, I would love for it to be a part of my lifestyle. I think it's great. Excellent. So how does it make you feel good to be learning how to skateboard and learning how to navigate the terminology in this different world? It makes me feel optimistic because what, well, one, it's a very humbling experience to be on the bottom of anything. In general, I'm a perfectionist. I like to be the best at a lot of things and I work hard with a lot of things that I dedicate myself with. So to knowingly going into this as a beginner who is scared and doesn't know much was, it, it was very humbling. And I had to remind myself that it's okay. And um, it also was encouraging because like the small milestones that I was making, like, oh, I'm actually like staying on the board for more than three seconds, five, you know, like the, I'm able to notice my milestones and to celebrate those small victories. So I think uh, that kind of really correlates to a lot of the stuff. So whether I'm having like a really challenging project at work or working with a challenging person, it's just like it, continuing to like knock away at it until you do make some progress. 
what did you do that was the first thing that really made you smile and feel proud of yourself while you were learning <laughs> skateboarding? Uh, when I put my helmet on, <laughs> I was just like, safety first. Like, that's when I knew it was real because like going through it all and putting it on strap by strap and, and just being out there in the space and really making it real because, you know, I have a ton of ideas of all the greatest things that I can create and produce, but like, do I do half of it? No. And the fact that I was able to actualize and see something that I've been thinking about and that I'm taking real steps towards like achieving, like it feels good. And I hope that that translates into other things that if I just start, then different opportunities will come about because I decided to start. Oh, I love that. So one thing that I've noticed in talking to people about their hobbies and the things that they're doing to feel good about themselves, they start like they may have an idea. They've seen other people doing it. But then once they start, they're always very surprised by the community that they find with their hobby. And that seems to be something that has pulled you in as well. Can you talk a little bit more about that community and what that's meant for you? Yeah, well, just to reflect back on, you know, Lou Harris, he has been real, uh, a real conduit. Like, I know I just have like a soft introduction to, you know, who this man is and the organization that he's spearheading. But again, like I, I've always had a connection to community and to see this black surfer invest in making sure that he's reaching and connecting with youth. Like, I'm drawn to that story. I'm drawn to support initiatives that not only benefit me, but um, have a larger impact on society as a whole. So I'm trying to figure out like, how am I day to day? How can I also um, identify things that I'm passionate with, but I can also, you know, the reach one, teach one and help bring up someone else like our youth. Like there's so many ways that we can make connections. And I feel that just me being open to exploring what makes me feel alive, hopefully I could serve as that conduit to that other person wanting to branch out into doing something different. I really feel you know, you really have to put yourselves out there for the greater good. And it could be as simple as saying that you want to learn how to skateboard. Like, it really doesn't have to be like some really grandiose thing. So you talked about seeing people of all ages out there learning how to skateboard. And again, we talk about bodies and body images. Do you also see people of different body types and different abilities out there? And how does that make you feel about this community and learning this skill? When I was out uh, last at Rockaway Beach, there was like a... Um... I'm, I'm not necessarily great at guessing ages. I want to say he was maybe like 13 to 15 year old black teenager. And he was out there with his mom and maybe like his aunt or his sister. So he looks like he, he would be like a defensive back, like on, you know, your high school football team. So it's like this big dude. And he was pretty new at skateboarding also. So it was it was really interesting to see, again, how he was embraced. Uh, he struggled and fell very hard. But like it was awesome to see that it wasn't anybody laughing. It's one, are you OK? And two, get back up and do it again. So that was really nice. And also like his mother or aunt, um, again, not sure who, but she was way older than I was. And she elected to start skateboarding, being inspired by, you know, just being out there. And her story was a little bit different. You know, she fell a lot harder than anybody that day. But it's, again, it was about the fun. She was really embraced as well. But the diversity that I saw when I went out there encouraged me to keep coming. I saw families 
they were out there like that's what they do on a Sunday. So that was a beautiful concept to have like a cooler pack with your lunch and you have your dad and your son going back and forth with tricks and the mom sitting to the side watching. So that was like a cool concept as well. It's just like, you know, well, my family, you know, we played, you know, softball on the weekends. But for this family, skateboarding is how they choose to, you know, celebrate and, and live their own lives. So it was it was neat to see all the different concepts of what a skateboarder looks like, mm-hmm. um, whether that's race or, or whether that's skill or there's many ways to identify, but all of it fits under the term skateboarder. So it's uh, it's pretty cool. Awesome. Lish, thank you so much. This was incredible. This changed my perception of skateboarders and skateboarding life. So I don't think I'm going to get out there, but (laughs) I love the idea of what you're doing. I love that you're doing it and how it has affected different parts of your life. So this is awesome. Thank you. Thank you for providing a space and a next step and me listening to myself. So serving as a reminder to continue to do that because it all circles back around. So Thank you, Nicole. (laughs) This is awesome. I love this so much. (laughs) Where can our audience find you if they want to look for your blog or just follow your journey? It's the same. My Instagram is mylishcometrue. So M-Y-L-I-S-H cometrue.com. That's the Instagram, but also the website. So one and the same. And yeah, you can follow my stories, my Instagram posts. You could email me. But uh, yes, uh, as I grow stronger in a lot of my faiths and beliefs, uh, it'll be tracked online. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp, a secure online counseling service. They connect you with licensed counselors through their secure app, letting you message with your therapist and schedule live phone or video sessions. You can also message your counselor in between sessions if you're worried about something or if you think of a topic you want to cover in your next call. Because BetterHelp wants to help you find the best therapeutic match possible, it's easy and free to switch counselors if you need to. And BetterHelp is also more affordable than traditional counseling with financial aid available. Once more, this podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. And this is good for you listeners. Get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash this is good. That's betterhelp.com slash this is good for 10% off your first month. And now let's get into Rita, who decided to take up speed skating just before she turned 40. My name is Rita Silver, which may sound familiar to you and your audience. I am producer Eric Silver's mother. Yes, you are. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for joining me. So were you athletic or very physically active as a child? No, actually, I wasn't at all. You know, there were things that I liked to do when I was young, just like, you know, other kids, I'd like to ride my bike. We ice skated, you know, at the town park rink, you know, when we were little in the winter. And But no, not especially. I was kind of like chubby as a kid and I wasn't, you know, very athletic and, you know, I spent a lot of my time reading. So no, it wasn't until uh, later on that I got more interested in sports and being more active. 
How old were you when you started getting into speed skating, right? You started speed skating at first. <laughs> That's right. So I have to tell you really how old I was. <laughs> you don't have to give me specific age. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Actually, funny enough, I do remember exactly how old I was because I was 39. And the reason I remember that is because when you're in competitive skating at that age, you're in what's called like a master's. They classify you as a, in the masters, which really means that you're not the age where you're competing, like you're not on an Olympic track. So there's the 30 to 39 group, there's the 40 to 49 group and so on. And I was 39. So I thought, well, this is sort of unfair because I'm going to be like the oldest person in my age group and like the (laughs) women's masters. So I thought, oh, I can't wait till I turn 40 and then I'll be the youngest one in my group. But I thought that would somehow give me an advantage. I don't know if it did or not, though. (laughs) For those who may be unfamiliar, what exactly is speed skating? Speed skating is very different, actually, from, you know, what most people are familiar with, uh, which is, of course, skating for hockey and also figure skating. It's really skating for racing. The skates, the boots and the blades are very different. The blades are really long. And um, there's two different types of speed skating. There's short track speed skating, which you do on just like a hockey rink. And there's long track speed skating, which you do on a large oval, you know, like in Lake Placid or, you know, you've probably seen it on the Olympics. It's almost like the equivalent of cross-country running as opposed to sort of running on a track. And why speed skating? What jumped out about speed skating to you? Well, I really didn't intend to start speed skating. I thought just as sort of a fun and interesting and different thing to do, I wanted to take lessons in figure skating. And my kids were at an age where a lot of their friends were getting into hockey. So I thought, well, you know, if they potentially start playing hockey, then I'll probably be spending a lot of time at the rink. And um, I thought, well, I'd like to be able to skate too. So I went to the rink that was closest to our house, looking to talk to a, a figure skating coach there. And I saw a practice going on and it was a short track speed skating practice. And I thought, gee, that looks kind of cool. Like, I wonder what they're doing. I thought, oh, these people are like the coolest. So I talked to a few of the people after they got off the ice and I thought, you know what? That's what I really want to (laughs) do. I don't know. There was something very cool about it. Just like the whole motion, the whole rhythm of it. It's kind of a team sport at the same time that it's an individual sport because you are, you know, you do skate as a group and you kind of practice as a group, but your performance, of course, is your own when you're racing. And What made you go back and keep going back once you first started? You know, uh, it was one of those things that was almost like addictive. It was like this adrenaline rush. Like once, I mean, of course, it was very difficult at the beginning. It's unlike anything else that you might have done. It's a whole balance thing and a whole, you know, weight transfer thing. And it feels very strange at first. It's based on physics, really. You're doing something that you thought you could never stand up and still do it at the same time. But it's very challenging and very strenuous. And I think I really like the challenge of it. I like the racing part of it. I love the speed. It didn't 
frighten me to fall. It didn't frighten me that the blades were this long. Of course, I'm on a podcast, so I can't show you how long, but <laughs> I met some really interesting people. And so that, you know, became a little bit of a social thing for me too, because of course I was with other like-minded people who enjoyed the same sport. So it became addictive, like the success bred success. The better I got, the better I got. So what was the community like? What were the other teammates like? Mm -hmm. There were people there who were of all different ages. I mean, there were, there were kids there and these are all, you know, just amateur skaters. And so it was a club. It was a, you know, a, a skating club, just like figure skaters have, you know, skating clubs. This was a speed skating club and we had practice every Monday night and I have to say mostly men. I think it's still like pretty much a male dominated sport by people of all ages. And I made some very good friends, people from all different professions and all different, you know, walks of life, basically. You mentioned that you went to the skating rink to learn skating because you figured that your children would be a part of hockey or be a part of that world somehow. One did they eventually play hockey? And two, do you feel like this is now something that's just for you? Or did it become something that was just for you? Like it kind of started off as something you were doing to, you know, help your children out. But then it also sounds like it became just your thing. You're absolutely right. I mean, that's like, it's a really insightful question because they did not end up playing hockey. <laughs> Eric and his brother did not end up playing hockey. But I have to say that they did come with me to a few practices. I did get them on the ice, which was really fun. Um, I don't know. You'll have to ask Eric about that sometime. But yes, it did really become something that was just for me that I really did feel very accomplished and it made me feel empowered. And I'm not saying that I was a fabulous skater. I mean, I was a competent skater, mm -hmm. but I just loved it so much. It was like one of the best things I ever like did for myself. Mm, I love that. Do you still speed skate? I don't. And the reason is, is that I live in Nashville now and Yay. it's, a, yeah, and it's a pretty much a warm weather climate and it's really not like a thing here, but no, no, I, I haven't skated in a few years, which makes me a little sad. <laughs> I don't mean to make you sad. <laughs> I'll have to take a trip to Lake Placid and, and go skating again. <laughs> but were your family and friends very open about it and supportive? Yeah, they really were. I think, I mean, I can't speak for them, but I think my kids thought it was a cool thing and like, oh, my mom is doing something like really different and cool. And, you know, my family as well, I did compete. So, you know, it also brought me to other places and I really, I look at it very fondly. Like it was a really fun time. And I felt, I don't know, I just, I felt accomplished and I've never backed down from a challenge. So <laughs> what were you most afraid of going into learning the sport? And now what are you most proud of about going into it? Gosh, I mean, of course there's the physical things that you're afraid of. Like, and again, I'm not someone who's like afraid of falling. You know, if I skate and I fall or if I'm on my bike and I fall, that doesn't frighten me. Or like if I'm skiing and I fall, 
but realistically, you are wearing very sharp, very long blades, and so is everybody else. And when you're short track speed skating, you can be very close together with other people and going fast. So if you fall, there's a possibility you could cut yourself or cut someone else or somebody else could cut you. So that's just like a completely just practical thing. I think from an emotional standpoint, and this says a lot about me, I guess, I was just kind of afraid of like looking really stupid, you know, like just looking so terribly uncoordinated and just like not, not being able to do it and just like failing. I I, I don't know. I just didn't want to look like horrible, but you know, I guess the people I was with were very supportive because I think everybody remembers what it's like to start off. And I think what I'm most proud of is that I did compete. I wasn't, of course, I was nervous. <laughs> you know, every time I competed, I was nervous, but I did it anyway. And I thought, you know what? It doesn't matter, you know, how fast I am, if I win, if I don't. I remember my ex-husband, um, Eric's dad, asked me when I came home from a race, I came in first in my class and I was so excited. And, and I told him that, you know, I came in first in my class and he said to me, well, how many people were there in the class? Mm. And I thought, what difference does it make? It doesn't matter if there was two people in the class or there were a hundred people in my class it doesn't matter. Like I came in first in the class and it was just, it made me feel really good. And I had like the bragging rights of my little teeny trophy. And I just, it was just that sense of accomplishment. And unfortunately that's a little bit telling, but <laughs> you know, I think it's a good lesson though. It doesn't matter. Right. It does not. What would you tell someone who's, you know, maybe no longer in their teens or 20s and they're thinking of starting, you know, a sport or sporting activity for the first time? Oh, I, I know it sounds so cliche. I hate to like repeat, you know, these things that you hear everyone say, but it's the absolute truth. Don't be afraid to like get outside your comfort zone. Just you have to just like close your eyes and like clench your fists and just like, do it, just like do it, you know, because the reward is worth the risk. It just is. And you, you'll find that, you know, I guess I'm at the age where I have the attitude, like what is the absolute worst that could happen? Okay. Like I'll sort of suck at this sport, you know, and maybe I won't like it anymore, but like, so what? Like to me, that's not a good reason not to try it. I don't know. You, again, you never know what you'll find. How did learning speed skating, how did what you learned about yourself benefit you away from the rink, like in your professional or personal life? Oh, it definitely gave me confidence. Psychologically gives you confidence, but I really also had like body confidence. Mm. I felt like I have the strength to do this. It made me feel like strong and powerful and in shape. And, you know, so I felt good about that, but really that also in other areas of my life, I thought, you know what, there's more things that I can handle that I probably didn't think I could before. It was a very empowering thing. Certainly made my legs bigger. I don't know. But <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, if you have to walk around in front of all those people in a skin suit, 
you've got to have some confidence because look, there's like a tiny little layer of lycra between like you and the world. So <laughs> I still have my skin suit. You do? Yeah, of course. Do you ever just put it on just to like feel good? No, no. But you know what? That's a good idea. Yeah, it's like lingerie, you know, but it's a sports thing. <laughs> I think yeah. you should do it. I should start a new like product line, like sports lingerie. What should we call it? Oh, and we I could don't get know. like Serena Williams to be like a spokesmodel. Yes, and her husband could like put up the money because he does all the VC right. stuff. Exactly, this is perfect. And we can get Eric Silver to do a podcast about it. Yes, exactly. He's over here. <laughs> <laughs> Are his eyes rolling back in his head? He's got his hand on his forehead and he's just like, oh, Oh, yes. (laughs) Oh, yes. (laughs) And now it's time for the indulgences. You know, something that you can enjoy guilt free. It's okay. Today, I'm going to talk about unskippable albums. Now, this was inspired by a friend's really good tiny letter, Leave It to Lenore, and that is L-E-O-N-O-R. So I have two albums that I'm going to talk about that I consider unskippable albums. The first one, Cooley High Harmony by Boys to Men. It came out in 1991. I was 14, freshman in high school. It still is a perfect album. There are no tracks you should avoid, okay? First of all, it's named after this incredible movie called Cooley High, which is really sad. And they um, had done this cover of a song from the movie called It's So Hard to Say Goodbye to Yesterday. And it's a song that's going to send you into tears no matter where you are in life and you hear it. I had the cassette. The first side was labeled Adagio. That's where all the slow songs were. And that was when I learned what the fuck adagio was. Even though I had taken clarinet for two years in grade school, I didn't know what adagio meant. So I was like, adagio, that is a beautiful, beautiful term. And I wanted to name my son adagio. (laughs) I kept that name on my future baby name list for probably a decade. So the first side, slow songs, adagio. Second side, fast songs, allegro. They were doing some shit with that, okay? Like, it is just beautiful. I will never forget that. I just thought that was so clever. Again, I was 14. Adagio side. The slow songs. Please don't go. Lonely heart. This is my heart. Oh, my God. They were just breaking up and begging bitches to stay with them. And I was like, yes, this is what I want. This is how men should be. Just beg me to stay. Cry. Cry. (sighs) It was incredible. Then they had the nasty song, Uh Ah, which sounds terrible to say, like, Uh Ah, that doesn't sound very sexy. But when you hear the song, it's supposed to be like, you know, the sound you make during sex and like humping. I don't know, but (laughs) it is a very sexy song. And they had this one member who had a really deep voice, right? He's no longer with the group now, but he had this really deep voice. On the songs, he would always come in and do the rap, you know, the little sensual rap to get the ladies all hot and bothered. (laughs) And it was the corniest shit, (laughs) but (laughs) it was unskippably corny, okay? Right, like you wanted to hear everything that he said. So there was uh Uh-Ah, and then they had uh Uh-Ah, the remix. (laughs) 
It is an incredible song that like it makes you want to laugh, but also you're laughing as you're taking off your bra. (laughs) I just love this whole album so much. Okay, second side, Allegro, Motown Philly. Everybody knows the Motown Philly song, right? You know, whatever. Then it has a song called Simpin'. Now, some of the youth today call each other simps, right? Anytime that you are saying something sweet about a woman or you're having a crush on them, it's like, oh, you simpin', right? Like, you're, you're just being a simp. This is not a new term. Again, go back and look at the 1991 album, Coolie High Harmony by Boys to Men, and you will see simpin' on there. We have been doing this for a very long time. No disrespect, but a lot of times, you know, when white people start saying slang words, it's some shit that black people have been saying for like 30 or 40 years. Anyway, my favorite, favorite song from the Allegro side is Your Love, which is just like a really groovy two-step kind of romantic song. I love fast love songs. It's just, it's one of my favorite songs. You would think that it would sound really dated, that album would sound really dated now, but it does not. I don't care what anybody says. You can go back and listen to that right now, this 30-year-old album, and you are dancing around in your kitchen, in your living room, whatever. You're going to be grooving, even to the slow songs. Cooley High Harmony by Boys to Men. The second album I'm going to talk about is very dear to me. It is so dear that I plucked a line from my favorite song from this favorite album and have named my upcoming memoir that line. And it is Sometimes I Trip on How Happy We Could Be, available now for pre-order anywhere you get your books, from the song, If I Was Your Girlfriend, from the masterpiece album, Sign of the Times by Prince. But the whole album, it is a masterpiece. There's no reason for you to skip anything. You should not skip anything unless you're just hitting repeat and listening to one song over and over and over again. It is incredible. I have that line also tattooed on me. I have another Prince song tattooed on me. I have purple things tattooed on me. I love Prince, okay? So obviously I'm a little biased. But if this is not the best album that he ever put out, it is top three. Again, I had the cassette and it was so good that my father stole this cassette, creating a lasting traumatic memory for me that I have written about over and over again because I was so mad that he stole this cassette from me and that he ruined it because he would listen to it in the kitchen and all this hot grease would pop on it and I had to get another one. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. (laughs) The point is, this is... Like the title suggests, it is emblematic of what was going on in 1987 in the late 80s. The title song reflects the AIDS epidemic, space exploration while people were starving and a severe homeless crisis going on, drug abuse, drug addiction, the war on drugs, Cold War, all this stuff. Prince references those things in this song. Um, There is Sign of the Times, there's Housequake. One of my favorite is The Ballad of Dorothy Parker. I was 10 when this album came out. I had no idea who Dorothy Parker was. And even though this song is not necessarily about Dorothy Parker, the author, the poet, that's how I learned about her. And I fell in love with her poetry because she was very sarcastic and sharp and biting. And I was like, you know, here is this artist, this music artist that I love, putting me on to a writer that I now love. This is incredible. Who is doing stuff like this? Only Prince. Then there's It, which is, you know, a song dedicated to sex, starfish and coffee, slow love, hot thing, forever in my life. It is a slow song. It is a romantic song about love. This is a song, if I ever get married, 
this will be the song that plays as I walk down the aisle. I just want y'all to know that. So I hope, Hosier, you're listening and you hear that this is the song that we're going to play when we get married. You got the look with Sheena Easton. And then If I Was Your Girlfriend, If I Was Your Girlfriend changed my life to the point that 30 years later, I have stamped it on my body. I have written a whole memoir with this title. It is such a beautiful song dedicated to the changes someone would go through in order to have the person that they love in their life. And at that time, it was just unheard of. I just cannot imagine someone being able to like change their whole gender in order to stay with someone. It's beautiful. Then the cross, because Prince obviously, you know, he was very, I don't want to say conflicted, but he liked to talk about religion and his faith in a particular kind of way. And the song definitely addresses that. And then there is the seminal hit, Adore. Adore was played on every quiet storm that I ever heard my whole life. Like, that's how beautiful and long-lasting it is. It did get to a point where I was like, you know what, I don't think I ever need to hear Adore again, but then I would hear it and just fall in love with it all over again. And when he passed away, there's this part towards the end where it sounds like angels singing. And he sings, for all time, I am with you. And then he goes, and you are with me. You are with me. Ugh, I'm getting a little misty-eyed. Uh, because I hear it now differently. We're going to be with him. He's going to be with us. I don't know. It's silly. I feel embarrassed, but it's just, I just hear it differently. (sighs) Unskippable album, Sign of the Times by Prince. So those are the two unskippable albums. You have been absolved. This is Good For You is hosted by me, Nicole Perkins, and produced by Multitude. Our lead producer is Eric Silver, our editor is Brandon Grugel, and our executive producers are Amanda McLaughlin and me. Our theme was created by Don Will, and our art is by Jessica E. Boyd. You can follow the show at This Is Good Pod, and you can follow me at Tennessee Whiskey Woman. That's T-N, whiskey with an E, woman. And a huge, huge thank you to everyone who supports the show on Patreon, especially to our supporting producer-level patrons, Chelsea, Conchetta, Courtney, and Elizabeth. To get exclusive rewards like stickers, monthly playlists curated by me, and even custom drabbles written just for you, join us for as little as $5 a month at patreon.com slash thisisgoodpod. This was good for me. Was it good for you?